This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 28th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Despite supply chain issues, rising interest rates in the United States, and competition from the Chinese, a major automaker has retained its title as the top-selling automaker in the world. We'll tell you what that company is and fill you in on the details coming up. Elon Musk and Tesla are in hot water again. Seems like this happens a lot. Uh, This time they're uh, in hot water about self-driving claims that have been made regarding some of Tesla's electric vehicles. It's kind of an ongoing thing, but it has bubbled up again, and we'll tell you more coming up. And here's a question for you. Does it cost more to refuel a conventional gasoline car or recharge an electric car? Well, there's a new study on this, and we'll have the answer for you later in the segment. A little bit of a trick question, but... uh, We'll give you the answer. I am Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague, looking very dapper in his hat, uh, doing great things. He's across the country. He lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week, we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most for your automotive dollar. Getting harder and harder to do that. Uh, Chris, tell me about it. Last time we talked, you had snow uh, you know, up to your ears, I think. Uh, is it better, worse? Uh, what's going on? Well, I don't think I'll call it worse, but we have more. <laughs> How about that? Uh, we're actually staring at uh, looking at about 20 degrees below zero on Friday with wind chills almost of negative 50. So uh, kids are out of school that day for a, a, a planned day off. So it'll be nice to stay inside all day uh, and just stare out the window. So happy to do that. How are things on your side of the world? Well, things were a little crazy last night, as a matter of fact. I mean, uh, my wife and I heard voices in the middle of the night, and I, I don't think she was talking in her sleep. And then I wondered if somebody had left the TV on or, you know, how sometimes audio just goes on spontaneously or something like that. I did a little investigation, and there were noises coming from right outside the house. I ended up calling the police. And the wow. police roll in about <laughs> two in the morning and I uh, did a nice job. I, I never actually saw the people, but they did then round them up. There were like six or seven police cars at the end of our block. I mean, it was major, major stuff at, wow. at two to three in the morning. So, uh, you know, if I'm I'm a little groggy, maybe that, <laughs> that's that's what it is. But, uh, you know, it got the adrenaline running. That's for certain. I'm not exactly certain what happened and i'm going to try and get in a report from our local police department who are terrific by the way i mean they were here in a matter of a couple of minutes once i called 911 i just didn't want to you know with stuff going on these days i i didn't want yeah. to take a chance i'm happy that things are quite a bit calmer around here so happy to happy that things worked out for you yeah well, so there you go a little, little excitement well what is your test vehicle for this week i spent the week climbing in and out of the ram 2500 rebel and i can't wait to tell you all about it <laughs> i can't wait to hear all about it too i had a little ram 2500 rebel experience myself and maybe we could share that i will be road testing the 2023 honda crv hybrid maybe the polar opposite of uh, the ram uh, 2500 rebel you know there was a time when honda was pretty skeptical about hybrids now it embraces them and so we'll talk about that too i want to get your take on that. I'm very excited about our special guest this week. Uh, Sam Fiorani is the VP of Global Forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. Uh, Really interesting guy. I mean, Chris, you introduced me to him, and he has some really incisive and surprising things to say about the current auto market. So uh, I'd love to hear what he has to say about that. And uh, so stick around for that. If you're going to buy a car in the next year or two, you really need to hear what Sam has to say because uh, he knows his stuff. Before we do anything else, though, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. And 
Let's drive, uh, dive right into the uh, automaker that is the best seller for 2022. Comes as maybe n not much of a surprise. Uh, I think it's a three-time winner, third straight year that uh, Toyota Motor Corporation has uh, sold the most vehicles out there. Yeah, they all have challenges. You know, Toyota is still fighting its own battles, trying to convince people that its approach to electric vehicles and hybrids is the right way to go. And, you know, they released a study today talking about that. But, you know, they have great value. They have great predicted reliability. And they've improved their technologies to the point where people can't really complain about that as much as they used to. So uh, I'm happy. I guess, you know, I've, I've always expressed being a Toyota fanboy, despite my recent GR Corolla uh frustrations but uh you know i think it's not surprising to see they've they've got the pieces in place yeah with all these headwinds of course all the automakers were facing the headwinds uh, specifically supply chain stuff that made it very very difficult and inventory is very low they sold 10.5 million vehicles globally and they actually blew away the second place team <laughs> volkswagen group Volkswagen Group only sold 8.3 million vehicles. I mean, they were much uh, harder hit, I think, by supply chain stuff. And of course, uh, you know, the European market has been disrupted by the war in Ukraine and, and fuel prices there. So they had a lot of things to deal with. It'll be uh, fascinating to see what 2023 brings. Toyota has kind of revised down their production forecast. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, Maybe uh, this this time next year we'll be crowning a new king for best selling, or maybe it will be uh, a four peat for <laughs> for Toyota. Yeah, it will be interesting. I don't honestly see, you know, in my crystal ball, it's always so accurate. Uh, anyone that's really going to come out from under the come out of the woodwork here, unless Volkswagen twenty twenty three looks great for Volkswagen, which it could, but I don't see anybody taking it back. Yeah, it it could be difficult, I think, for anybody to come close, especially with that kind of lead. They just won by millions of vehicles. Well, uh, Elon Musk, <laughs> love him, hate him, like him, you know, whatever you feel about him, whatever you feel about Tesla, he sure is newsworthy, right? And <laughs> back in the news as the Securities and Exchange Commission continues to investigate his role in putting out self-driving claims for the vehicles. You know, this is in some ways an old story, but it is resurfaced, uh, resurfaced, who knows why? Is it political? Uh, it could be. Uh, but in any case, the SEC uh, is, is probing what he said about the Tesla autopilot driver system. You and I have both chatted and uh, had our opinions voiced about uh, autopilot. What's your take on this resurfacing now? Yeah, well, this is the SEC investigating them, right? So this is yes. to do with the stock price and financial uh, information, which could have been inflated due to the fact that they over-promoted or oversold this this technology. But look, I think from a safety perspective, it's dangerous, and all automaker all all automakers are subject to this, not just Tesla. We talk about safety equipment and promising, over-promising, and under-delivering some of these uh, safety equipments, and then you know standardizing the terminology so that everybody understands what they're getting when they buy a car. Tesla, especially full self-driving the car is not actually full self-driving. It's not going to drive itself without the, the driver there. And, and people have gotten killed and seriously hurt uh, due to the over-trusting some of these systems. So uh, I think it's right to question some of these things. I absolutely believe it's right to question those things. You know, the SEC is very concerned about what they call forward-looking statements. When, you, uh, when you're selling stock and at the same time you're putting out there stuff that maybe are inflated claims about what you're going to do, uh, you know, how many vehicles you will sell, how many uh, products you will sell, because uh, it certainly extends all the way across uh, all industries. 
So there is that. And you could say that uh, Elon is always a, a bit optimistic about what he talks about, right? I guess maybe that's not legal or maybe it is. I, I, I really don't know. It's not up to me to judge happily. Uh, another part of the story is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration continues to investigate this stuff. Uh, they, are, uh, they started an autopilot investigation in August of 2021. And I think at some point they, they like to finish this thing and see where it stands. But when you innovate, you uh, often are pressing the envelope, right? And then do you talk about it? And I, I don't know the answer there. Innovation is fine. I actually appreciate the things that Tesla has done with technology and the electric vehicle space, pushing everybody forward and, you know, from a to a degree. But at the same time, even if you're well-meaning in the things that you're advertising, even if you have a caveat somewhere, if you're not very clear about it, somebody's going to take that to heart and they're going to act on it and they're going to get hurt. They're going to kill somebody else. They're going to destroy property, whatever you want to, however you want to go down that road. Uh, so it really does need some clarification and there do need to be some guardrails around what is and what isn't able to be said about these things. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And just telling the truth. Huh? That, that's kind of the, the, the first, uh, first and last rules, I, I would think. Yeah, it always helps. Well, we talked about EV charging. We've talked about EV charging a lot. You have uh, certain uh, challenges there in the cold weather in Maine in, in the middle of winter here. And things kind of change uh, over time. Certainly the cost of, of fuel has come down somewhat, although it's, it's not uh, necessarily as inexpensive as it was three or four years ago, but it certainly has come down. And that has affected EV charging versus uh, the charging of an internal versus refueling of a uh, conventional internal combustion engine car. And uh, these days, uh, based on the cost of driving 100 miles, it's actually cheaper to fill up a gas car than it is to uh, recharge an EV, at least. And there's so many uh, so many variables here. I mean, I'm not sure whether <laughs> that's the report yet, <laughs> you know, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk uh, about all these various things. I'll, I'll read I'll read to you the, uh, the amount worked out to uh, $11.29 for owners of mid-priced internal combustion engine vehicles to drive 100 miles. That's about 31 cents less than what it costs to charge an EV and drive the same number of miles. So a little over a quarter, <laughs> quarter nickel and a penny. I, I would say maybe that's on par. And then if you're on the luxury side, it's actually cheaper to use electricity, charge something like a Porsche Taycan, and uh, rather than filling up a luxury car with gas. So there's a, there's a bunch of things going on. I mean, this, this is not nearly as cut and dry as uh, a headline would lead you to believe. Yeah, I guess, it. you know, in my mind, I was reading some of this yesterday. I haven't read the whole story. And just listening to you talk, it made me think about these things again. You know, I think it, they're vastly there's vast difference between filling a car up and with gas in California and filling up a car in Georgia or South Carolina. Uh, the first thing and the same thing is whole is true for electricity. Electricity rates are probably higher in California than they are everywhere else too. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a tough headline to, to break down. I think there, you mentioned earlier, there are some nuance there that needs to be explored. Uh, but it's, Stuff like that is going to get people thinking, just like we talked about in the last segment with, with advertising autopilot. If you say these things, people are going to believe it. So I think we, we need to dig into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. And again, telling the truth, you know, getting the real information out there. And that's what we're all about at America on the Road. I don't think we have any particular axe to grind for EVs, for internal combustion engine vehicles. We just want people to make good, good buying decisions and help them out with that. So that's what we're here to do. Uh, when we come back, we'll be trying to help out with that with uh, some road tests. 
Uh, you were driving the Ram 2500 Rebel. Oh, my goodness. Uh, a vehicle bigger than many people's houses. And I was driving the Honda CRV Hybrid. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jackie Red back with you for road test time and two very disparate, different types of vehicles we have for you in this segment. Uh, Chris, you were driving a massive, massive vehicle. I had uh, you know, a 24-hour uh, period of driving that vehicle recently, too, uh, in Detroit. And So tell us about uh, the vehicle you're going to describe this week. Yeah, a lot of fun, a little bit of frustration. Uh, the, the Ram 20, uh, sorry, the 2023 Ram 2500 Rebel. There are a lot of numbers in there. Uh, this is this is a giant truck. It's a heavy duty pickup truck. So it's a, a lot, not a lot, but larger to a noticeable, noticeable degree than a Ram 1500 or a Ford F-150 uh, that you would see driving to the grocery store. So these trucks are built for work, despite the fact that the, the Rebel package is an off-road, appear, uh, not only appearance package, but uh, it comes with tires and things like that. But these these trucks are made for work so they're rough and tumble they're big they're rough you know they're loud so this they did a good job with the comfort on this one though so but i'll take a step back and talk about the price to start so uh the rebel this is 2500 not the 3500 which is more expensive and and more capable but it starts around seventy thousand dollars my truck as tested had a bunch of options eighty seven thousand just a little bit more than 87 grand for this pickup truck it's got a 6.4 liter hemi jack 410 horsepower 429 pound feet of torque you can get a Cummins diesel in this thing, which takes the towing capacity well above uh, like 20,000 pounds or something crazy like that. But this gas engine sounds great, and it delivers around 19,000 pounds of towing if you can even you know, find a trailer and tow that around your neighborhood. Uh, Eight-speed automatic transmission for this thing, four-wheel drive as well. Uh, so the, the Rebel package brings uh, all-terrain tires, an electronic rear locking differential, and a rear limited slip. So I wanted to talk to you about this. What do you think about the Rebel package sort of as an off-road, uh, you know, addition to a heavy-duty pickup truck? You know, Ford is probably, Ford does it too. Everybody does it. So what do you think about that as opposed to, you know, to using an off-road pickup truck for work? Well, I think it's interesting. And, you know, a lot of people buy pickup trucks for dual use, right? They they work with them during the week and then on the weekends or, you know, when they go on vacation, they they use that. And, and so I think it, it makes some sense. I mean, you are certainly hauling around a, a, a lot of truck. Uh, if you're commuting as an individual in that thing, but it makes a statement, uh, certainly. Uh, there's a lot to like about this truck, and I think there's a lot to like about the Rebel package, too. I think so. And, you know, if I needed or if someone needed a, a heavy-duty pickup truck, this is certainly one of the more comfortable uh, ones you can buy. Rams interiors, even on the heavy-duty side, are kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the the truck industry, even Ford, uh, despite the fact that Ford sells, you know, more more of its uh, Super Duty trucks than anybody else. But uh, so this truck came with a, a package that added, I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, Natura Leather, Natura Plus Leather interior. So you there's no sidestep. We talked about this being a little annoying. You can add four or five different sidestep options. They have a tube sidestep, a, a, just a step step, a fold out step. This truck came without a sidestep, which I understand for off-road purposes, you get the breakover angle. You don't have anything under the truck to obstruct the the uh, travel. But for kids, for a dog, for me, you know, being overweight and getting a little bit older, uh, it's a climb into this thing. And, you know, it's got a handle, so you really have to step up into it. But once you're inside, as I mentioned, the black Natura Plus leather, it is really luxurious on the inside of this truck. Even the cloth upholstery, I drove one a couple uh, years ago, the cloth upholstery feels nice. With this package, it came with a 12-inch touchscreen 
wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto. Uh, Rams uh, takes uses Uconnect 5, which is part of the Stellantis family. Uh, it is an incredibly easy-to-use infotainment system. Everything is so well-labeled. Uh, there's no question about what you're trying to do. Now, I will say there are a lot of things on the screen. So while you're driving and you're like, you know, everything is touched. So you're, how do I adjust my heated seats or heated steering wheel, any of that stuff? It is a little distracting, but I think that once, uh, if I drove it longer than a week, you kind of get a muscle memory for where things are and it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. So full safety package in the truck, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alerts, forward automatic uh, emergency braking. One thing that the premium package did bring or the trailering package, I should say, is a side view camera. So we talked about this, uh, Honda used to do it, Hyundai and Kia do it. Uh, when you put the turn signal on, the center screen switches to a camera view for the side of the truck. So uh, especially in the snow here in New England, where there are huge piles on the side of the road, you put the turn signal on and you have a very clear view of what's on the side of the truck, especially something so large. It's just a very good uh, booster to the confidence level and makes it a lot easier to navigate such a large vehicle because it does, it can be kind of cumbersome at times. Plenty of room for five people on this pickup truck had no struggle with car seats, the dog, kids in the back. There were no no conflicts with people in the front seat. So there's plenty of room in here. Jack, I think if you need a work truck and you need that extra capability, this is probably one of the better options. I don't know that I would opt for the Rebel package in the 2500 just because I don't need the off-road capability, but uh, this is a fantastic truck. Uh, I think my only complaint is that the steering wheel doesn't telescope. So you end up driving with your, your arms out a little bit further like a tractor, but overall a lot of fun. Yeah, two points I really want to make about this thing. One is it's a really big vehicle, but once you're behind the wheel, it's pretty darn agile. Uh, you know, you feel pretty good about it, and you can see around it really well. I mean, what you point out with the the uh, side cameras and blind spot cameras and stuff like that certainly help with that. It also has big mirrors, that kind of dual-level mirrors, if I remember correctly, that really help you see. The other thing is when you turn on the turn signal, a lot of times your navigation will go away. So you'll see that view just as, well, do I turn here? Or, you know, it's probably really useful not to lose navigation when you're at a, an intersection with the turn signal going. So I was turning on the turn signal, then turning off the turn signal, then turning on the turn signal. People behind me thought, must have thought I was schizophrenic or something. I just didn't know what I was doing, which is true, yeah. but about different things. So uh, you know, those are the things I, I noticed about this truck. Well, I was driving what I think uh, is very different than <laughs> the uh, Ram 2500, and that is the Honda CRV in hybrid form. And it wasn't that many years back that Honda was not a big proponent of hybrids. I don't know whether it was their engineering bent and they went, well, do we really need two motors? Can't we just make a, an internal combustion engine really efficient and then we don't have to do this hybrid stuff? Or, or for whatever reason, they kind of let Toyota go off and do the hybrid thing and they were uh, not necessarily uh, as gung-ho about that. But now they're embracing it and they're certainly embracing it in the new CRV, which was new last year. And the, the high-level versions of the CRV are all hybrids and, and very sporty. And, and the hybrids are both the most fun to drive and the most fuel efficient. And we're seeing that more and more. I think that's, that's pretty interesting, though. This is a, a really good vehicle based on the, uh, the Honda Civic, of course, uh, that same platform. And the Honda Civic was North American Car of the Year in 2022. Uh, basically, that same platform won North American Car of the Year this year with the Acura Integra. So <laughs> I guess the jurors really like that platform. But uh, it works very well in the CRV and in hybrid form. 
there's just so much to like about this. I mean, the CRV is bigger than it has been this time around, so that's good. Uh, and it, it's always kind of sizing up a little bit. It's always kind of leading the class in interior space, and I think that's very important for people who are buying a compact sport utility. Then you have this excellent fuel economy for not a ton of money. I mean, the the basic hybrid is around uh, $30,000, and then when you get the sport touring, uh, more expensive, more stuff, you know, just zootier. $38,000. I mean, $38,000, when you stop and think about it, is a lot for a compact that used to be, not that many years ago, maybe a decade ago, under $20,000. But, uh, you know, what's your take on the the all-new CRV for this year? The thing I love that Honda does with their hybrids is they constantly tweak the small details. So if you remember the Insight from a few years ago, they made a big change with the throttle response and with the brake pedal. So the hybrid engine, uh, the hybrid motor, uh, kicked in earlier and made it more responsive for the throttle. And at the same time, they made the regenerative braking system feel less grabby and more natural. And those improvements have made their their hybrids feel more and more like regular vehicles. And as you mentioned, the CRV, the hybrid CRV is the one to buy if you want a little bit more fun. It's a little bit faster, a little bit quicker and more engaging to drive. So I think they've done a great job of it. Yeah. They have made the interior more upscale than ever. I mean, Honda used to be known for very functional interiors, but not necessarily pretty interiors or, or nice looking interiors. I think this one is both. So you have that. The rear seat legroom is more up by more than half an inch. I mean, half an inch doesn't seem like a ton, but it is roomier, so that's good. And the split folding rear seats have eight inches, eight angles of recline. So I like the fact that you can adjust that somewhat. Uh, that, that's very useful. Uh, tons of uh, electronic safety equipment in the ADS, the Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. They call it Honda Sensing. Uh, so there's a lot of, of stuff that is standard equipment in the CRV. Uh, you know, kind of blows away a lot of luxury vehicles in terms of standard safety equipment and safety equipment overall. I think that's terrific. And then there is the infotainment system. Ah, you know, we we go through those. And Honda's had some issues with those, with not having a volume knob, a tuning knob. They fixed that with the smaller touchscreen. A seven-inch touchscreen is standard on the Sport. But then when you go to the Sport Touring, you get a nine-inch touchscreen. You get a physical volume knob. Like that. Okay, turn it up, turn it down. Even this old brain can figure that out. But it doesn't have a tuning knob. Maybe people don't tune stations the way they used to. You know, I still uh, listen to some AM radio and FM radio, of course, and I love it a lot. So, and I want to continue to do that. So that's good. Wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. You know, how would you sum up the the infotainment and, and what you've seen in Hondas recently? Yeah, they're a little clunky. I'm glad that they they have gone back to adding a volume knob. I'm sad that the larger unit lost the tuning knob, as you mentioned. We listen to Sirius XM and FM radio in the car, and scrolling through stations with a finger or trying to tap an arrow a hundred times to get through different stations is just, it's awful. All in all, I think two very different vehicles, but vehicles worth a look in the Ram 2500 and in the Honda CRV Hybrid. A very fun to drive and yet economical vehicle. Agree. Well, when we come back, we will be interviewing Sam Fiorani. He will tell us what we need to know about what the market is going to look like in 2023 and beyond. So if you're looking to buy a new car, listen up. We'll be right back. So stay with us right here on America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Red, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. 
In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red back with you. And we have a terrific guest for you. Sam Fiorani is uh, Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. He's giving me a little thumbs up that I have said his title right, which is a good thing. I'm, I'm happy when I do that. It's, it doesn't always uh, be the case, but uh, this time I guess it is. And Sam, uh, thanks, uh, number one, so much for being with us. And give our listeners a little idea of, of what your company does and what you do, and then we'll go from there. We provide analytical and forecasting services for the automotive industry. Anyone looking for where the industry's going, what's happening, uh, down to the detail. We, we forecast at the vehicle level at plants around the world. So we cover about 60 countries around the world now, uh, providing uh, numbers going out through 2035, uh, for production and sales, and uh, help companies who are in this industry find their direction. I mean, it's really critical for car companies. They have to do a lot of planning. I mean, when you stop and think about what's in a vehicle, and every part in that vehicle has to be procured, and uh, they have to figure out how many they're going to have and how many vehicles they're going to make. I mean, what you do is is kind of critical to that, isn't it? It's it's absolutely critical because vehicle manufacturers are are optimistic companies. And when you're providing parts to that company and they say, we're going to build 100,000 of these every year, and the, those suppliers come to us and say, really, how many are they going to build? And so we say, well, all these competitive forces are in the marketplace and it's going to be 75,000. It's going to be 25,000. It's going to be 150,000. doesn't happen very often, but occasionally we, we think that the market is, is better than the manufacturer, but usually it's their their eyes are bigger than their stomach. Yeah, I've seen that a lot, and I worked in some car companies. And, and one of the things you do if you're working in a car company just to keep a project going is maybe you're a little optimistic about the sales of that particular product or, or product. So uh, it's kind of a natural and uh, self-survival, I think, that uh, is part of the industry, isn't it? A- absolutely. For, for every uh, successful PT Cruiser, there's an unsuccessful Pontiac Aztec. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I kind of cringe when I hear the uh, word Aztec. I, I mean, it's almost so ugly that it's good, I, I guess, in a way. And it's fun it, to see one. It's got well, a following. Yeah. Let's talk about what's going on for 2023. Uh, you know, auto forecasting is in the name of your company. This is certainly what you do. What, what do you think is 2023 will hold, especially for the, the car buyer out there? What's it going to be like? Well, with the interest rates coming up, everybody is thinking about where the economy is going and if they're going to buy a car, uh, if this is a good market to buy a car, all that thing. The, the way the industry has always worked, the actual interest rates going on around the world don't really affect car purchasing because if you want to sell a car, you'll lower the interest rate as part of the incentive. That's not a, such a big deal, but 
when the inset- when the interest rates are affecting your house price for you're affecting everything else that you're doing it's just putting a strain on on what how you envision the economy that could stop people from buying cars and so we're hoping that this is a short-lived belief in a recession we're, we're not even calling it a recession at this point but the the idea that consumers think there's a recession is it good enough to create a recession in some cases so uh we're hoping that if there is one, it's short-lived, and by the end of the year, we're back on a recovery pace. It's kind of an unusual market. I mean, a very unusual market, right, that we have rising interest rates at the same time. We have very low inventory levels, uh, and sales are, are down, though, even with the low inventory levels are largely because of them. Uh, you know, talk us through that and what, what that means to people out there about to buy a car. For a couple of years now, we've been fighting this uh, a supply chain issue, and part of that supply chain issue has been semiconductors, which has been really hampering production of vehicles. So when manufacturers only get so many semiconductor chips to put in vehicles, they're going to put them in the high-end vehicles because that's where they make the most money. It's making uh, limited access to low-end vehicles, raising the price, the average transaction price of a vehicle because now we've only got expensive cars on the lot if you have vehicles at all. So now, because we don't have vehicles, there's less negotiation. Prices are going up even further there. So it's it's a snowball effect on all these different aspects of the industry. And we're watching inventory levels rise at the moment. They're coming up a little bit, but we're still, the average uh, level in the industry traditionally has been, the target has been 60 days supply, to have 60 days of sales on the lot. We're currently running around 30 which is an improvement over 20 that it was a few months ago. But the industry says they've learned their lesson and we're not going to get back to 60. So we might get back to 45, maybe 50. I think eventually we'll get back to 60 because competition the way it is, people will will want to have more vehicles than the next dealership down the street. So we'll get back there. But we're just looking to get to 45 or 50 so consumers have a choice. I mean, I was talking to the folks at Honda recently, and they were down in single digits in terms of day supply. I mean, just crazy uh, limited uh, supply of vehicles. And uh, that certainly had a a huge effect on Honda sales and Acura sales in in 2022. Yeah, Um, Honda, Toyota, Acura, uh, Lexus, uh, Subaru have have always been low, but even lower now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so do you think this is going to ease through the year? If if you could wait another six months as a buyer, would you do that now? If you can wait any length of time, wait, because it will progressively get better. And uh, as I said, the inventory levels are starting to tick up. We're waiting for them to get to a reasonable level. But right now, they're they're 50% better than they were just a few months ago. So once we get to the 45, 50-day range, then you'll have choice. You'll be able to negotiate. We're hearing that uh, the the tacked on prices that a lot of dealers had put on them six months ago are coming off now. So prices are coming down a little bit. Is there a type of vehicle or some types of vehicles that are in larger supply and thus, uh, you know, you're liable to get a better deal on those right now? Or is it kind of across the board that we're just seeing lack of inventory and scarcity? Yeah, it's a it's a lack of inventory across the board. And so the vehicles that they are producing you're not going to negotiate too much on because there are very few of them to start with and and they're high end. So those of us who are looking for middle of the road, middle America cars, they're not there. Right. Uh, they're, they're there in lower numbers than 
you'll find high-end pickup trucks or SUVs. Well, let's switch off and, and get a little more specific. And I, I want to talk about electric cars. I mean, we're going to see more and more uh, electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles coming into the market uh, in 2023. Uh, have we reached kind of a critical mass of this where we're getting some kind of real picture about what consumer demand is? Or is this still just early adopters and, and we're not certain what it's going to mean going forward? Yeah, unfortunately, we're still looking at early adopters at this point. It, there are some people coming in going, I, I want an electric vehicle, but it's not enough that that people are exchanging their internal combustion engine daily driver for an electric vehicle. We're, we're waiting for that to come. This year is going to be a, a high watermark for the, for the EV market in the U.S. We're going to crest a million units of sales of EVs this year. But all the players that are coming into the field, it's going to dilute Tesla's market share. And we're going to see Tesla fall under 50% of the market this year. But that's simply because there are so many other players entering. We're still looking at six, over 600, 640,000 Teslas sold this year. So it's it's a huge amount of vehicles that one manufacturer is selling. And it's them holding 49% with everybody else holding 51%. What kind of per, market percentage is that going to be, uh, you know, all battery electrics? Is it going to be to 10% or uh, obviously that depends on what your prediction for overall sales are if you're predicting a million sales of EVs. What's your sense of that? We're still below 10%, but it's but it's quickly approaching that. So by the end of the year relative to the marketplace, we could be over 10% in December. On America on the Road, we often talk about electric vehicles as being kind of a good second car or a first car if you have another car, right, as opposed to your uh, your loan car. What's your take on that? I mean, are we always going to see electrics as being kind of supplemental or are we going to see that for the next decade or so? Or are they going to be primary cars for people uh, going forward pretty quickly? We're waiting for that breakthrough. We're waiting for that that vehicle that you can plug in and have a full charge in 10, 15 minutes. Uh, physics doesn't say that's going to happen quickly. So we're waiting for something new to come along. But in the meantime, an electric vehicle is a great daily driver if you're not going uh, more than 200 miles in a day. As long as you have a home, home charger, you're good to go. Charge up at home, drive all day long, and come home and plug it back in, just like you do with your cell phone. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's going to be a while before we see uh, electric vehicles taking over every vehicle that you have because you know honestly you can't cross the country and uh, expect to have the same quick time across the country i i i went from pennsylvania to to iowa in a day and that was in a gas-powered vehicle so i can't expect to add an hour every 400 miles and and still do it in the same time right well you sound like you drive like me sam and uh <laughs> I like putting miles behind me and, you know, thousand mile days are, are not strange to me, but uh, I think they're, uh, they're not going to be very possible with most electric vehicles out there. You have to do uh, all kinds of mental gymnastics to do that. Well, I was hoping to ask you about autonomous vehicles, but it looks like the, the segment is coming to a close. So we're going to have you back pretty soon to talk about that. I, I really uh, am curious about what you think of, about where that's going to go. But uh, Sam Fiorani, thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate you being with us right here on America on the Road. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to coming back. Very good. We'll make that happen really soon. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jackie Redback with you for listener questions. 
We love to take your listener questions, and we love to hear from you just overall. If you have a comment on the show, you have a question you want to ask us, uh, you know, send it to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com, and we will answer it on an upcoming show and uh, try and give you a good answer. Just the truth is all we're about here. <laughs> That's what we try for. And uh, so uh, if we can help you, we'd love to do it. And uh, let's take a question right now. Ray in Ventura, California asks this. He's a long way from you in Maine, Chris, but uh, pretty close to me. <laughs> this is what Ray says. I just heard the state of California is planning to outlaw chrome plating. I'm a hot rod guy, and I can't imagine what that would do to the hot rod and restoration businesses. Do you know anything about this? I personally don't, Jack. I'm actually very curious about what the environmental impacts of chrome are and if there's a viable substitute for it. Well, it's interesting, and I think this is aftermarket chrome kind of stuff. I mean, the kind of chrome you would do when you're, uh, like, redoing a bumper. I mean, we don't see that many chrome bumpers anymore anyway on new cars, but certainly on restored cars and on hot rods. And uh, hot rods, they chrome everything that, uh, that moves and maybe some things that don't, uh, which is very cool, I think. And the, the, the difficulty is apparently chemicals involved in chrome plating escape into the atmosphere and then they could be harmful. Well, okay, uh, I guess we know that, and I, I, I don't think there's a ton of this going on. Uh, but at the same time, it is a, a big industry, and it's a big industry in Southern California, as you can just tell from cable, <laughs> cable shows on, on TV. You know, there's a lot going on here. So I, I kind of feel of both minds on this. As a, as a guy who lives in California, certainly I don't want the air quality to be any worse. I don't want people to be injured. At the same time, I don't know that this is a major, major problem. This is this is something that that needs to be addressed. It, it doesn't strike me that anybody has died of cancer of this up till now. Uh, I could be wrong. I don't know. But uh, uh, and I love chrome on hot rods, and I, I you know I love chrome on those vehicles from the '50s, '60s, or from whenever. I love old cars. I love classic cars that uh, have chrome trim. So, like I say, two minds on this one. It does make me wonder if there could be a better target for some of the the legislation here i mean chrome if it is if it is as as harmful as uh, as it as it needs to be banned it just seems like uh, there may not be that many people still using it, as you said so uh, I, don't, I have a lot of questions i'm going to do some research on this yeah it's kind of interesting i mean even the way they mitigate it i think is maybe does more harm than good so i guess that's not really mitigation i mean you know at least that's what i've read about this uh, fairly recently I, I think this is an ongoing issue and We'll see what happens. But anything that would negatively affect the hot rod and restoration in, industries in Southern California I'm, or in California in general, I guess I'm, I line up on the other side. Yeah. Well, here is a question from your side of the country, actually, Chris. And uh, Stephen in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, says this. When you talk about electric vehicles, you guys talk a lot about range on a charge, but you don't specify what a good range is. Fair criticism, maybe. Can you put numbers on it? Is it 150 miles, 200 miles? Is it 300 miles? What's your take on this, Chris? Yeah, I think it depends completely on the person and your comfort level and how you have to drive or where you have to go. For me, I think my goal with an EV would be 250, 300 miles of range would be the comfort zone for me. But at the same time, if you have a 300-mile EV or even a 400-mile EV if, and it doesn't charge very quickly, then it doesn't really – you're not doing a whole lot of good if you're going to sit there for 30 or 45 minutes. At the same time, if you look at the the new Honda Accord, just the standard Honda Accord gets over 400 miles on a tank of gas. Uh, it you know there's there's some difference there. If you're looking to make the switch, then you need to be comfortable with a little bit less uh, range per tank or per charge. Yeah, I, I, I quite agree with you. And I, I think the reason we don't say well, it's got to have 300 miles because some people can get by with 150 miles. 
And they don't have to pay that huge premium to get twice as much miles on a charge, twice as many miles on a charge. It's a whole different thing, isn't it, than buying a gasoline car. I mean, range isn't an issue when you think about buying a conventional car. I mean, certainly it's nice to have longer range. I love these these vehicles where you don't have to fill them up uh, until 500 miles or 400 miles or something like that. I I mean, nobody loves to spend a ton of time at the gas station, uh, unless there's somebody at the gas station they love talking to, maybe, or (laughs) they love snacks. But when you buy an electric car, I mean, range becomes one of those things where you're kind of buying the, the fuel tank size or the equivalent of a fuel tank size, and you really have to pay attention to that because it's going to make a big difference in whether this is going to work for you or whether it isn't. Yeah, and I'll point out that here in New England, especially the cold weather, so you know, heating up the car, turning on the heated seats, running the heated steering wheel, defrosting the windows, and then just driving in cold weather, all those things combine to make the, to make the range a lot less uh, – as generous as, as as advertised, up to 40% in some cases I've seen people uh, talk about. So, you know, there are a lot of things to think about. I do think now, and we've talked about this before, that range anxiety, the thing that was like the big deal when electric vehicles started being a thing, uh, has kind of faded to the past. I think charging speeds, as I mentioned earlier, is a much more important metric for me. Like the Kia EV6 has around, one of the, one of the models has around 300 miles of range, but it also can charge using 800-volt architecture, so it can take on a, a faster charge, so you get some of that range back. Uh, so I, I do think there are some, there's a balance to be struck, but there are a lot of things to think about with an EV that you don't really have to worry about with a gas car. Yeah, and we really don't have to worry about where we buy gasoline, but you do have to worry about where you're going to charge your vehicle because you know it's great to have, you have that 800-volt architecture and be able to take on that charge really rapidly. But if you can't get on a fast charger that accommodates that, I mean, you're in desperate trouble. I mean, you're just not going to work out for you. And you're not going to have that at home. I mean... <laughs> Unless you're a billionaire, you're not going to install something like that in your house. So it's an issue. It can be an issue, certainly. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. The uh, One of the rest stops here in Maine leaving on I-95, they have several chargers. All, a lot of them are 150 kilowatts, but they have two 350 kilowatt chargers. Both times I've been there, I've never been able to get them to charge at anything past like 150, 175. So uh, I guess that you know could be due to the vehicle, but it's also taking advantage of those speeds is important. So uh, a lot of things to think about. These are all interesting questions today, Jack. Yeah, well, let's see if this one is interesting, too. Rick in Waco, Texas says this. I've heard you talk about certified pre-owned cars, but when I look at them online, it seems like they're more expensive than cars that aren't certified. Is getting a certified used car worth the cost? For me, yes, absolutely. Uh, You pay a little bit more, but you get a lot more in return. So uh, you get the inspection up front, the dealership. uh, Most automakers require like a 100-point inspection or whatever the number is. Uh, you get an extended warranty, usually up to 100,000 miles in some cases, you know, a few more years on there. Uh, and you get generally a better quality used car, right? This thing has been picked over a little bit more. They, the requirements to become a certified car are stricter, so the mileage has to be lower. The year has to be newer. So you're getting a sort of a better, less used used car overall. Uh, I do think it's important to be careful, though, because some dealerships slap a certified sticker on there that they have certified uh, in-house, so to speak, that the automaker does not actually honor the warranty or anything like that. So there are some things to think about there, but I, I do think it's worth it. You know, I largely agree with you, Chris. I think in some instances, it's it's really in in some ways insurance, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's peace of mind as opposed to anything uh, more tangible than that. But it's nice to have peace of mind. A lot of people buy new cars because they get a long warranty. They know nobody has had this before. They believe that the manufacturer is going to stand behind them. 
uh, when you're buying a typical used car, you're buying it as is. You're, there it is, and if you pay for it, you know, take title and you know, drive drive off the driveway and it falls apart, uh, you're on the hook, and there's nothing much you can do about that. Certified pre-owned takes the worry of that out of the equation, and it's worth money. I think it's worth some money to people. How much? Well, you can balance that, but uh, certainly certified pre-owned cars are, are typically more expensive than non-certified because you're getting more value from that or potential value. And that value, I think, largely is in the peace of mind, the warranty coverage you're getting. And uh, as you say, the fact that not every used car can be certified, they don't qualify for that. They're just not good enough to be certified. Yeah, you know, I have a tendency to buy used cars with like 200,000 miles on them and then let them uh, fall apart. But if I were buying a new, a newer used car to use for my daily driver, it would be certified all the way. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, I think that's our show for the week, Chris. Love to talk with you about cars. Thanks so much for being with us on this show. Yeah, I always love being here. Before I read us out here, Jack, I want to talk about your test driver for just a minute. We have a great giveaway coming up in February. We're going to give away a ticket to a day pass for Team O'Neill Rally School in New Hampshire. I'm working on a Skip Barber School in California for people who don't live on the East Coast. Uh, but we do have great giveaways. We also have great news and, and uh, stories every day there. So I encourage you to check out yourtestdriver.com. But if you like what you heard here and you want to take us with you, please check out sportsmapradio.com. There you can find us on the Saturday schedule. You can find our formatted podcast on all the major platforms as well as a radio version of the show right there. Yeah, and I'd love to have you check out my latest book. It's called Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller inspired by true crime, kind of a follow-on to fatal photographs. My, my coverage of the famous Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In fact, that's a book you might want to pick up sometime. I think it's a pretty interesting book. Pretty interesting story. So look for that. It's on Amazon, available in paperback and, and a Kindle edition. And of course, if you like the show, please pass it on. Let people know when they can hear it on the radio station on which you listen to the show. And of course, we're available as a podcast, as Chris said. Uh, if you like the podcast, review it well if you are so moved. Uh, subscribe, and uh, we'll speak with you at least every week on America on the Road. And join us again right here for another edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel. So he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.